calls recorded for quality insurance. I'm extremely excited to welcome Pastor Wes Fowler to the podcast for the interview today. First Baptist Mayfield was hit by the tornado on December 10th, 2021, and has substantial damage. In fact, as of today, on May 20th, they're still in the process of rebuilding. I asked Pastor Wes if he would be willing to talk about his experience uh, during the tornado, and I don't want to give it away, but he was uh, intimately involved with the amount of damage. In fact, there are a number of videos and pictures referenced that he took in this discussion that are available on our Substack page for the uh, podcast. I would encourage you to go take a look at those and uh, watch the video. It's, it's crazy. There's two reasons for this interview. One is Pastor Wes experienced something terrible when that tornado hit Mayfield, and fortunately, he and his family were safe and made it out. So hearing his story is really a, a realistic and shocking in many ways that shows the power of Mother Nature. So that's part one is just hearing about it. Part two is we've got a, a very uh, large claim on First Baptist Mayfield. I would estimate it's uh, in excess of $10 million of damage. And Pastor Wes is in the middle of it even right now. So with that process, since we're insurance agents that specialize in churches, the promises we make are that when something terrible like this happens, they'll be taken care of. And in this particular case, again, the damage is not completely repaired yet, so the claim's still open and ongoing. But thus far, you get to hear how Pastor Wes describes and rates our service, both from the agency and from Brotherhood Mutual. So I hope to you enjoy this conversation. Wes, tell me a little bit about First Baptist and your pastoral career and how long you've been there. Probably the first thing to know, First Baptist is my home church. It's where I was born and raised from the time I was born till I was 18. That's where I attended church. And then I, I moved away for about 16 years and then came back when I was 34 years old as the pastor of my home church. And now I've been there about 10 years. And so I'm 45 and I guess it's been about 10 and a half years now that I've been there as pastor. Awesome. Awesome. So where, where did you serve before coming back home? I served in South Georgia. I was the youth pastor at First Baptist Valdosta, Georgia. And then I was the senior pastor at First Baptist Homerville, Georgia. Homerville is in the swamp in, in South Georgia. The Okefenokee Swamp is right there next to Homerville. And so pretty unique area. Awesome. 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 So it's, uh, it's kind of challenging coming home to a pastor at your home church. That could be, could be awesome or it could be challenging. You would think so. 
So the search committee years ago, I remember them asking me that said that, you know, Jesus did not have honor in his hometown. And how would I manage that? And my, I remember my response was, well, Jesus was claiming to be the Christ. And I will promise you that I will never claim to be the Christ and maybe we'll be okay. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful right there. That's fantastic. Awesome. I wanted to take some time to talk through the tornado damage at First Baptist Mayfield that yep. happened in December. And what happened that night, how it went down, just walk us through. I know you're still in the middle of a substantial claim, yep. but walk us through that process. And so it was the evening of, of December 10th and my wife and I were at home probably at eight or eight 30 at, at night. And we were watching the local news, WPSD channel six, and we could hear them using a little bit different language. I know sometimes the media maybe exaggerates maybe for ratings or maybe just to keep your attention, but this was different. Um, the, the terminology they were using and the warnings that they were using, I, I said, Terry Brooke, I, this is not a normal event. Like something's going on. And they were showing pictures of it and just saying, please don't take this as a normal warning or as a, this is a big deal. And so we, we gathered the kids quickly from the, their bedrooms and headed to our church campus. And we did that because our church has a very nice basement and it also has a very nice tunnel that connects two of our buildings under a street. It's very unique in Graves County. I think it's the only tunnel like that in our, our area, but you can walk across the street underground basically. And it sounds like that would be the safest place to be during a tornado. So that's where we went. And so my youth pastor also had that idea. He and his family came with us. Basically they met us there on campus and what's interesting as we pulled up to the campus, we saw the gym and we said, you know what? Maybe we'll just go in there and play with the kids for a little bit. The kids don't want to go in the tunnel. Maybe we'll go in there and play. How bad can this thing be? We're going to be in, in the church. We're going to be, we're going to be okay in the gym. And then I, I told Cody, I said, you know what? No, let's not do that. We're here. We're here to go to the shelter. Let's just tough it out. Let's go down there. That's probably the wiser decision. And so we did, we went down to the, to the tunnel. And of course the, the part of that story that's interesting is the, the gym got hammered. I think we would have survived, but the gym is just in really bad shape. It ripped the roof off, etc. Yeah. So that would have been a difficult moment for us. Now the we, gym, is it closer? Is it closer to the United Methodist church? It was behind you. That's right. It is. Yeah. I got you. It I is. got you. And of course, which was essentially the, obliterated. It was destroyed. And so we made our way down to the basement and then right at about nine 20, they, I think they said it was coming nine 27 ish. And so at about nine 25, nine, you know, somewhere in there, we went down to the deep part of the tunnel and, and then we, we could hear the storm getting closer, the storm getting more aggressive. And, and of course the power went out and then it became, we had our flashlights on, but we, we could just feel the atmosphere in that room changing and we could hear the sound outside. There's a stairwell that goes to the outside right next to where we were. So we weren't too far removed from the outside, even though we were in the tunnel and then the vacuum of the tornado, it, the, the whole room filled with debris, like small particles of, of debris and dirt. And it was hard to even with the flashlight on all you could see were things floating around all the ceiling tiles wow. were, were popping in and out. And we, we basically, oh, wow. yeah, we, we basically got our families quickly and pushed them up against the wall on, we, we all 
laid down, kneeled down. And basically I laid on top of my family completely as much as I, as much as I could trying to protect them. And then yeah. my, my youth pastor laid on top of his family and it really, it was all we could do in the moment. It, it was in inadequate because if, if anything had fallen, he would have gotten all of us, but that's what we did. And that probably lasted 30 seconds to a minute. I'm not really sure how long it lasted. And then things calmed down in that, in the moment there was crying from the kids. There was some yelling from the kids. And I've told the story several times that I, I was saying over and over, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. Just calm <laughs> down. Everything's fine. And of course the storm is raging all around. Us. Yeah. And. I told my wife later, I was saying that, but I didn't know that we were going to be okay. Yeah. And how do you know in that type of setting, you're not guaranteed uh, safety, but that's what's needed maybe from the family, right? That's the role that you play in the family yeah. is to try to help everybody and calm them down. And if you look at the aftermath, almost all the buildings around us did collapse. And if our building had collapsed, it would have either collapsed on top of us or it would have trapped us in. It would have, if, if our buildings. That was a question I had is if you'd have had both ends hit. Now that stairwell was that, is that on the older side or the newer side? I guess it would be on the newer side, but if the children's building, for example, if it had fallen in, we couldn't have gotten to that. If the sanctuary had fallen in, we would have basically been trapped in that tunnel area. Oh, uh, wow. Did you still have cell phone service after it passed through? No, we had in the tunnel, you don't have any cell phone service at at all surrounded by a lot of concrete. And so I, I had texted with my mom who was out of town at the time and told her that we were going down into the tunnel. So she would have known where we were, but no, no service at all down there. Wow. So how, so how did you get out? Did you I mean you, when you walked out, what'd you walk into? So our first journey up, we left the kids and our, our wives in the tunnel just for safety. And then Cody and my youth pastor, we, we went up on the children's building side of the street and, and the moment we walked up, we actually, you, you come above ground right by our nursery and all of the windows were out and ceilings were out and roof was out. And we could hear the, of course, the rain coming in and the storm continuing to, to go. And it was just the facility was in just glass everywhere. Uh, it was pretty, we actually got video of it because as we were walking through, I'm going this is not good. And then we went back down to the tunnel and told the kids and our parents, our, our, our wives that it, it was pretty bad. Then we went to the sanctuary side and, and this is where I, I don't think I realized how bad it was till we went to that side of the street. And I walked up out of a, a certain door that all of our church members know and I've known since I was a kid. And, and I looked around with my flashlight and I was, uh -huh. mid-state's glass has been right next to our our church, of course, for decades. And as I looked around, I didn't see it. And I, I was really confused. I, I was just kind of taken back. Like, where's the glass shop? And then I looked a little bit further over to my left and I could see our bus. We have this large Greyhound looking coach yeah. and I could see it. And my first thought was, I know we had that thing in the garage. Oh, wow. Was well, it, it was in the garage. It was in the garage, but the garage was gone. Uh, yeah. It ripped the garage completely off of the foundation. Like it was just no longer there and it, it exposed the coach. That's why I could see it, but it really confused me for, so for about 30 or 45 seconds, I'm disoriented. Like 
things just aren't normal. And then finally it, it sinks in. This is bad. The buildings are gone. In that same moment, we could, there were wires down on the ground popping and you could see the, the blue of the electricity and, and you could just hear the, the sound, the humming sound of that power. You could hear, sadly, you could hear people yelling and you didn't know where they were. Yeah. It was dark, raining. Did, did you encounter anyone that was injured in that process aftermath? No, we really couldn't get out of the building because of the power lines that were down right in front of our, our building. It was trapped in there for a little bit. So did you, I assume you drove there? We drove there and our, our car, of course, was, was totaled. And we had just debris from the tornado, knocked out every single window and several dents in the side and just... I've got a picture, actually, an eye beam came within 10 inches of going through the front windshield of our, of our car. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Man. So, so at some point, I know Paul had reached out to you fairly shortly after. Talk a little bit about that and the response he gave you. Yeah. I found this really unique, to be honest. It, it's one of the reasons I, I requested even to, to do this, because I, I think it's very special that it was probably 1030 at night, maybe. I think it was between 10, 30 and 11 where, where Paul called my cell phone. We're still at the church. We had just gone through this tornado and of all people, my insurance agent calls me. I find that incredibly unique. And he, <laughs> I saw his name on my phone and I'm like, isn't that neat? You know, he's already called me. <laughs> called me. And, and so we're still there. He didn't know we were there, of course, but whenever uh, I answered and we, we talked, I told him I was still on site. And this is one of the first things that he, he told me that night. He said, pastor, don't worry about this. You're going to be covered. You're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. Yep. He's always got these reassuring words that we got you covered. You're going to be fine. And, and so he, he was one of the very first phone calls. It's just special when your insurance agent is your very first phone, one of your very first phone calls after. I would contend that's what we're here for. He was calling everybody in Mayfield once they saw the damage. Yep. And who it had impacted. How long were you all stuck at the church that night first? And then we could talk a little bit about the process. It was, we, we, it was difficult to have somebody come and get us because all the roads were blocked from, from debris everywhere. But we finally managed to, to get somebody to, to try to come get us. We, we couldn't drive home because our, our car was totaled. And so we had to have somebody come and get us. And also in this conversation, when we were trying to get a ride home, we didn't know if we had a home, you know? Uh, right. Were you impacted at your house? No, no. The house is less than two miles away and it was perfectly fine. So it's crazy, but we didn't know for an hour if we had a house or not. And then we learned that our neighborhood was okay. And then we had somebody come and, and pick us up around midnight, I think. And then we, we were up till 2 AM calling people and texting with people. And then I was back up at the campus at six 30 on Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, I, did Paul go over Saturday? I think that, that Monday was the first time I saw him, I think. But you know what I remember about that was very special to me as well? Because I certainly am a, I'm a fan of Paul. Um, you, you were there. He, he was emotional. I mean, I don't yeah. remember that or not, but it was a very emotional thing. It wasn't just business. It was, it meant something to him. He could see our hurt and, and our concern and he heard for us. And to me, that's meaningful. You can't take, you can't take the personal side out of this. 
that that's the thing about all of the the damage and a, a hailstorm that damages your roof's one thing, but there's a substantial loss of life. There, Mayfield will not be the same city again after that event, and even after everything's rebuilt, which will take how long? That's the 10, 15 years, maybe. It's just it's a uh, there's a solid emotional impact through that process and and uh, and change that's happened. So I you can't get around that. I don't think. And he mentioned that too. He mentioned the that he was a little bit overwhelmed when he got out there and saw everything when he first connected with you. It's uh, overwhelming. So, so shift gear. So you're you certainly have not completed the reconstruction at this point. We're yeah here we are in March, uh, late March uh, with this event happening in December. Talk a little bit about the process with dealing with the insurance companies, and uh, and I'm not looking for you to sugarcoat it or trash us either way because it's a large loss is never easy to work through a process and it's a lot of work for everybody involved. The the truth is I don't have too many critiques and I, I understand the the magnitude of this. In the early stages, we were inundated, and anybody in a claim like this needs to be aware of this. We were inundated with people saying. I can do this for you. I can do that for you. You need to sign this so that I can get started. You don't need to wait another day. We you feel this pressure that you got to get involved you, as far as letting somebody do this and letting somebody do that. You don't know them. They've come from out of town a lot of times and maybe their motives are good and pure and maybe they're not. I, I don't know. Yeah. But that yeah. pressure was there very early on. We had within the, the first two or three days, basically serve pro wanted to, uh, to help us out. And I was even, I, I know Serve Pro, I've seen their commercials for, for years. I mean, I've, I've heard about what they do, but I was even nervous about giving them the thumbs up. And so when it came to that, this is where I called Paul again and said, Hey, what do I, what do I do here? And basically I handed the phone, my, my phone to the Serve Pro agency, the, the person who was talking to me and said, I want you to talk to Paul. We're not doing anything without insurance, giving you a thumbs up. Yeah. So, so Paul and a lady named Andrea talked about what all we could do, what all we could not do. And then every step of the way, and by, and by the way, Paul gave them the thumbs up to get started. So we began a journey with, 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 with Serve Pro and it's a long journey. I, I guess I thought it would be a couple of weeks. Serve Pro still on our campus right now. Yeah. And yeah. This is, well, you probably, do you still, do you still have holes in your roof? So we have a temporary roofing that was put up, but it, it's not firm. Like water still yeah. comes in when it rains. It, it's just too many seams to get right. And we have a metal roof and they had to order the metal. The metal has come in and now they're scheduling a time to, to install it. They, ha they have installed some flat roofing that's done and that's good and secure, but there's just so many places. Our entire roofing system on every single building had to be replaced. Yeah. There's not a single roof that we're keeping in. It's wow. That part is, is difficult. But Surpro's been there for three plus months and we had no power. So they had generators. We had no heat. So they had to bring in heaters. We had, they just come in and take over the campus. And then you have uh, contract employees that come in and box things up. And you have carpet being ripped up and ceiling tiles being taken out and walls being cut and wet sheetrock being, it is. It is really a kind of a chaotic scene for a little bit. Right. Now, are you past that or they're still, it's still that way a little bit, right? No, right now they're just in a maintaining and drying phase. I mean, most of it's dry. If it rains, it gets wet again. So today it might be getting, it's raining now. I'll be, yeah. I'll be curious how campus looks. 
but uh, no, right right now they're actually pulling off. I, I think this might be their final week on campus, and so gotcha. That's just where we and the hard thing about this process with anybody like Serve Pro, and they're doing their their best. You pretty much lose control over what's happening. But that's and, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that, that's what a lot of people. That yeah, and, and it's so there, there's a lot of there's two responses to large losses from customers. One is you guys are the insurance company, so take care of everything. And ultimately, we're a funding source. The company is, but we don't find the contractors. We can refer you. We can help with that. But the contractors and the and working with the contractors is something the church does, and and we simply fund it. And so a lot of people expect us to manage the process. And we'll have on a large loss like yours. I'm sure we've got a local adjusting firm. And I think we've also got a construction manager overseeing to make sure everything makes sense that the, the costs are, but we're certainly not authorizing the contractors. And then once they get in there too, it's a huge uh, process that, that you, like you said, you don't have control over and not just, you don't have control over, but when somebody's supposed to be there, are they there? Can they be there? Are the materials on time? And so all of that. Within a week, we had basically hired a general contractor because he's a church member and a friend, and he has been renovating our church for 10 years. That's part of the story is that we were actually in the last phase of a $1.2 million renovation on our sanctuary, and the sanctuary was the last part of our facility to be renovated. Everything else in 10 years, we had been working on one area at a time and paying for it as we go. Everything had been renovated. Sanctuary is the the last area, and uh, then the tornado hit. So we we, we have a, a great relationship with a, a general contractor. We have a great relationship with a roofer out of Paducah, and and so we had that going within a week, and so that's been very helpful. And like right now, we meet. I've got a team that meets on Wednesdays at eight thirty, and we walk through a portion of the facility, and we are planning the rebuild. So when we walk through, it's with uh, Riley Architect. And so they are having to put the plans together to give to our general contractor to get started. And there's so much to cover. You can't just have one big meeting. And so we broken it up into hour and a half or two hour meetings every Wednesday, which gives them a week to work on what we talked about last week and put it on paper. And so we have this meeting scheduled until further notice on Wednesdays at 830. (laughs) as we plan so that Roger can get started. Also, Roger's had to submit documents to, to Frankfurt to get approval to officially get started. That hasn't come in yet. So we don't even officially have the thumbs up where he can drive the first nail. It's- oh, wow. Wow. So you're, yeah. So how long does that take? Frankfurt had the plans. Process. They've had the, they've had the documents for probably four or five weeks now. We we're checking on it weekly. Who knows? What, do you have a feel from your architect and general contractor, how long they think it'll take to get it all done? I would think it. On the, so again, on the, we got basically two sides that we talk about. They got the children's building side and that side has our children's facility, office area, gymnasium, and a nice worship center. It's not our sanctuary, but it's a nice worship center. We can operate on that side of the street. So that's where they're going to, that's where they're going to start. And they're telling us that once we get started. It's a 10 to 12 month process on that side of the street. And then of course we have the other side, which is our, our very nice kind of uh, a sanctuary built in 1929. Some people say it's a Gothic or semi-Gothic structure. It's a very large stone, beautiful sanctuary. 
And then next to that, we have an adult education space, which is, it's basically five floors. If you count the basement yeah. of, yep. of education space. And they're telling us for that side of the street about a, a year. So all said and done, we're looking at two years once we get started. Which we're already three to four months in yep, and three and a half months plus. And, and so you're still just seeing the cleanup from ServPro about to end That's and right. waiting on approval. So maybe a couple of more months before all the approvals come through and the changes are approved and ready to go. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I, we ask these questions, Pastor West, because that our ministry continuation coverage is the loss of donations and also extra expense costs to continue ministry. And yep. that limit, we generally say 20 to 30 months, but in the current environment with the scarcity materials and the difficulty of finding contractors, it may be longer, honestly. So that's good to know. And, and it's a great, unfortunately for you all, it's a good case study for us to see how things are in that type of large loss scenario. But what I uh, think, so. I think, and you, you can of course edit this part if it's not right, but I, I think out of that amount that you're talking about, you also have to cover, you cover lost potential income or, or tithes or offerings, but also doesn't that have to do with like your office space that you have to rent? Yeah. So ex extra expense piece is part of that too. And it's one combined limit, but that's also, that's also where, where do we rent office space somewhere else? And how much does that cost? If you had a daycare or preschool or school activity and you had to rent space to continue ministry for that, what's that, that, that would come out of that too. We typically try to do 25% of your annual budget. There's times where it's more, there's times where it's less based on the unique account, but, but that's part of that discussion too. And so ours was right at 25%. Ours was right at 25%. And for example, the office space that we're renting now is $3,500 a month. And there's some charges on, but that's actually a good price right now compared to what's out there and what we need. And we're renting other facilities for our children's program and of course for our, our worship time on Sundays and we just have nothing that we can use on campus. And so I would say that it's good to be aware that those expenses can add up rather quickly. Oh, absolutely. Do you feel like that 25% is going to be an adequate limit for you before it's all said and done? Do we know? think so. We think so. What's so the initials more than you would probably think as far as you've got to get your office set up. You've got to get just normal things back up and, and going that it, it costs thousands to do that. You don't even think about it. We had some people donate some stuff, which really helped out, but I would definitely, I would say a minimum of 25%, if not 30%, because it's, we we're watching that number for us. We're watching that number closely to make sure we try to stay in bounds. Yeah. How have your donations gone since the loss? They've been solid. So every month we have met budget and every month we have spent less than our, our budget because we don't have a facility to put funds towards. And then, so any, any lessons learned from the process? You mentioned the urgency that you felt early on. Was that a little bit deceptive in that need to get started or was that valuable that you did need to get moving quickly? I think that pressure, it probably doesn't work well with my personality just because I, I was never rude with anybody, but I'm going to take my time. I don't make knee jerk decisions. I don't make quick decisions on stuff like that. I understand the insurance side of it. I can tell you this, for an example, one person said, Hey, we'll, we'll do the work uh, of repairing your, your roof and whatever the insurance company pays. That's what we will, that's what we will charge. And I said, send me that on paper and let me look at it. And so they sent yeah. me a contract on paper and they did not think I was going to read the contract because the contract actually it, I've still got it on my email. 
it specifically says that we will bill your insurance and anything above and beyond that will be billed to the church. <laughs> so in spite of their promises early on, the, the fine print had it else otherwise. The fine print, and they just, they did not think I was going to read it, is my assumption. And but anyway, yeah, I, I did feel that pressure. We did not rush into anything. My advice there would be don't make a single agreement without the thumbs up from the insurance company if you're expecting the insurance company to cover it. Listen, I greatly appreciate it. And we'll, like I said, we'll, uh, we look forward to getting a story out just to let people know what happened and how it went down and, and the moving parts on there. Anything you want to finish with or add before we uh, finish up? I would just say, I, I think, a, I think part of this is, is, uh, there's gotta be a level of patience involved the whole way around. If you have a large claim, we're learning that to get some of the funds in takes a few weeks more than what we expected because there's multiple moving parts behind the scenes to make that that happen. So far, it's 100% honest to say that we have not felt uh, pushback from the insurance company. We have felt like everybody's trying, everybody is wanting to help. The pace is probably a little slower than what we would personally like, but as it's explained to us, it makes sense. It's not, there's just nothing you can do about it. It's just part of it. But I think patience is a key element and, and some trust involved on, on both sides. And for me, it has to do with the relationship and partnership that we've built over the last decade, which is, yeah, is really important. That's, that's, so that is, uh, of course, the terms matter, the coverage you get for the price you pay matters from a premium standpoint. But one of the communication factors that we always want to let people know is you're going to be better taken care of with a long-term relationship with a carrier partner and insurance company especially in a large loss, then you would be just jumping from place to place trying to get the best price. Uh, we'd much rather massage that relationship and make sure and go back and say, hey, listen, we've had these guys for 10 years. If there's a problem, they have been a loyal customer for us. We want to make sure we take care of them and, uh, and approach yep. it from that angle, as opposed to we won lowest bid and, and now we've gotten hammered with this claim and y'all don't really want to pay it anyway. And that's, there's just a, there's a broad range of outcomes there. And in general, our agencies, uh, both American Church Group, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Paducah Insurance, we'd rather uh, be a platform for that relationship so that we can take care of you if something happens. Um, well, and like Paul, what, what happens in that relationship and partnership and really even a friendship, what, what happens there is that Paul has the freedom with me now to say, hey, here's how this is going to work. He can tell me the truth. It's not going to hurt my feelings. He, he can comfort me when I need to be comforted. Just tell me how it is. That's awesome. That was our discussion with Pastor Wes Fowler of First Baptist Mayfield. And I can assure you, this it's been a couple of months since our conversation, and they continue to make progress in rebuilding, but it's taken some time. Of course, today we want to talk about our featured product, and it's it would be remiss for me not to also continue talking about the fact that we are a specialist in church insurance. All I will say at this point is not only do we have fantastic pricing, unrivaled coverage, but when the time comes to pay a claim, we take care of our customers. The Quality Insurance Podcast is a production of Paducah Insurance Agency, LLC, and American Church Group of Kentucky, LLC. This podcast is a member of the Ministry League Network. The podcast music is Moonlight Motor Inn, written by Steve Spurgeon, arranged by Dan Crary, and recorded by Josh Williams.